take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. You're listening to our series on inner alchemy, the process of transmutation we go through as we continually release the denser energies of pain, resistance, and negativity to reveal the higher, finer, harmonious frequencies of our true nature, which are always present. Our true nature is effortless and subtle. It doesn't shout. To sense that which is subtle in you, and consequently in anything, there's no effort involved. It's something you have to relax into. Yet so much of daily life seems fraught with waves of thoughts, feelings, and stories, memories, events, and circumstances that drown out the silence that we truly are. However, dealing with or managing life and solving problems is not arduous unless we make it so. In our last episode, we talked about how truly simple it is to solve any apparent problem out there from within ourselves by using four short phrases as touchstones. These are pointers that lead us back to the true self when we start to become entangled in the stories and situations of the personal self. We know that we're entangled when we feel stressed, and especially when we lose our sense of humor. That's when we know that we're caught up in the content and have forgotten about the context. We are so much more than we realize, but we are highly identified with what I variously call the personal self, the illusory or false self, the ego mind personality, the little me. What I'm referring to with all these different terms is a mind made entity that we are attached to, believing it to be who we are. It seems to be the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, the doer behind all our actions, and at the deepest level, the source of life itself. The constantly changing kaleidoscope of distraction, which is the nature of this mind-made self, takes up most of our attention. And we are under the false impression that we have to manage it. That if we can just get this whirlwind under control, everything will be better. We try to control the outside world until we realize it's impossible. And then we might come across the idea that we are creating or manifesting our reality. So we transfer that attempt at control onto ourselves. That if we can somehow be better ourselves, we'll get different, more desirable results in life. And so we set about improving ourselves. 
there's nothing wrong with improving ourselves. This is how the quest begins. The spiritual quest begins. We want to improve ourselves, right? And we all have room for improvement, obviously. We can be kinder, more forgiving, more generous, more patient. But without understanding the distinction that I'm going to clarify in today's episode, our attempts at self-improvement can take us down an unproductive path that leads to more frustration and a vicious cycle of guilt and self-condemnation. I spoke of this trap, the trap of uh, this self-improvement quest last season in our series on living with grace and ease. And I'll leave, uh, leave a link to that episode in the show notes if you want to listen to that for another perspective. So each week during this series, I'm sharing with you a new alchemical key that sets you free. Applying even one of these keys consistently and without exception leads to freedom from the trials and tribulations of the personal self. Think of them as shortcuts. The idea is to save you a lot of fruitless detours and distractions that really have nothing to do with the actual work of spiritual growth. And today's key is about helping us remember where our true worth originates so that we don't fall into the trap of improving a self that we're not. Have you ever noticed how much time and money we spend on that? It's the whole basis of the advertising industry, which wants you to believe that you are incomplete, lacking something, too much of something else, that there's something inherently wrong with you that has to be fixed, and so on. It's a much more direct route to accept that none of that thinking is necessary. I sum up today's alchemical key with the phrase, I am already worthy. I am already worthy. Now this key is transformative because it takes our attention off the personal self and back to the true self. It's a touchstone that reminds us of our dual nature, that we are both form and formless. We have a body and a life situation here on earth, that's form, and we're also spirit, which is beyond form. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. The mantra Sat Nam that we use in Kundalini Yoga illustrates this paradox brilliantly. The vibration Sat expresses truth with a capital T eternal truth, which transcends time and space. That which transcends time is eternal, and that which transcends space is infinite. Sut refers to the formless, unbound, unmanifest I am from which all things originate, and which is in all things as pure essence. The vibration Nam expresses name or identity. It refers to that which is finite and limited manifest. It's like saying the words, I am. As soon as you pronounce those words and add an identifier, I am this or I am that, boom, you're in the world of form and you have defined that which is beyond all definition. So the mantra Sat Nam expresses that divine paradox of all that is, which is both form and formless, manifest and unmanifest. It says, I am that, as I am right now. 
It expresses the first hermetic law of oneness, that everything is spirit and takes form, and within that form is spirit. Within what is changeable and finite is the the unchanging and the infinite. Symbolically, we could represent this with the cross. We may think of the cross as a Christian symbol, but it far predates Christianity and it transcends any religion or tradition. It's two lines at a 90 degree angle, which corresponds to the second day of Genesis and the creation of light. That's in terms of sacred sacred geometry. I think of the vertical line going up and down as Sat and the horizontal line as Nam. The horizontal line is like a linear timeline. At some point on that timeline, we're born, and at another point on that timeline, we die. It's the finite form that we take that lasts the blink of an eye, really. And so it is with all form. It arises and it falls away. Nothing lasts forever, not even the highest mountains, not even the earth itself. On the level of form, it arises and it falls away and it is transformed into something else. The vertical line is sat, and it has no beginning and no end. It is the formless, infinite and eternal, which intersects with form, the horizontal line. In each moment of now, as we move through linear time, we meet with this unborn, undying self that is all and that is within all that is. Jesus represents exactly that paradox of being human and divine at the same time, finite and infinite, time-bound and eternal, limited and unlimited. And he told us we were the same as him. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. That is Satnam. When we are in a crisis, we are at a crossroads a critical stage, a turning point, a moment of choice, change. Crisis is very often the thing that brings us inward to the deeper questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What's it all about? It's a cross. So what does this have to do with the alchemical key? I'm already worthy. Well, it's a reminder of what our sense of worth is rooted in. This is something that we get confused about. Our sense of worth is rooted in the infinite, but that's the last place we look for it or that we were taught to look. Most of us are looking to find or prove our worth through the finite dimension, the illusory self, and that is a losing proposition. The hallmark of the finite aspect of our nature that is our form nature, is changeability, impermanence. You know this intuitively. Everything in life changes. Everything is impermanent. We have to learn to let go. If we get attached to things remaining as they are, we suffer. I wish this day would last forever, expresses that attachment. This is the part of us that wants to continue in a given state forever and hold on to it. Many promises of undying love are made in such a state and are then subject to time and change. We learn the hard way that what we think of as love is often just attachment and can quickly change to its opposite. So we in our form nature are changeable. A thousand different thoughts blow through in the blink of an eye. One day we like something, the next day we don't. 
we tire of what we once valued. Our mood goes up and down, so do our energy levels. We're subject to emotional tides that come and go. Our physical appearance changes as we age. Our tastes change. Our values change. We are inconstant. We are mutable. And that's just the way it is. The form-based self is the personal self, the illusory or false self, the ego mind personality, the little me. It's the programmed self, the software on our computer, the film in our projector. It's a dream that's here today and gone tomorrow. And yet we spend most of our time and attention working so hard to preserve it, keep it alive, keep it young, improve it. It is so fragile and precarious. It has to be protected, defended. It always has something to prove and something to lose. From the point on the linear timeline where we're born to the point on it where we die, the ego is holding on for dear life. We have an idea of ourself, a self-concept. It's subject to constant attack from without and from within. If it's not coming from the world or time or another person, it's an attack from within, a mind attack, a, a psychic attack, an ego attack. We're divided within. The narcissistic core of the ego would have us believe that we're separate from the true source of life and thus we carry a burden of unconscious guilt at the root of that self-concept. We believe in this fiction and no matter how sad our story is, we are still enamored of it. We are the central character in the drama and we judge ourselves as worthy or unworthy, deserving or undeserving praiseworthy or blameworthy, good or bad, perpetrator or victim. And this is the self that we're looking to for what we're worth. We can never outperform our self-image and sense of deserving. Even if consciously we want to make changes for the better, our self-concept acts like an invisible boundary. If we've been long suppressing negative feelings of guilt, shame, anger, or grief, those energy fields are playing subliminally all the time. The personal will correlates to our level of consciousness, and we may not have enough spiritual power yet to overcome habits and tendencies that pull us downward. If we have no currency with the infinite side of our nature, it's difficult to summon the power required to make that leap. So, again, for most people, the idea of self-worth, which is just another concept, stems from the finite part of their nature, the horizontal line. It's influenced by programming, karma, subconscious memories, life story, what we've done or left undone, accomplished or failed to accomplish, or what's been done to us or what we've perpetrated on others. It's no wonder we have doubts about our worthiness when it's rooted in the precariousness of the finite self that is constantly changing and therefore always subject to attack. Self-judgment automatically lands us in the pairs of opposites and our self-image will be based on polarity. And if we're in one polarity, we're bound for the other polarity sooner or later. What goes up must come down. So our concept of worth, of worthiness, 
about what we deserve, which is a continual saboteur in our quest for self-improvement, that concept is instability itself. We have to try to feel better about ourselves, try to love ourselves, accept ourselves, forgive ourselves. All of this effort and energy is directed at an ephemeral self that comes and goes in the blink of an eye. We've been looking in the wrong place. Because worthiness is not something you earn, it's something you are. It's inherent. By your birth into human form, you have already been deemed worthy by the universe can't become any more worthy than you already are. And you can't become any less worthy than you already are. Once we touch the true self, even for an instant, all doubt about our worth disappears. The only one who is struggling with self-image is the false self. (laughs) You get that? The only one who would even ask the question, am I worthy and have doubts about it, is the personal self, the false mind-made entity. The only one subject to mind attacks is the image that we've created of ourselves, which is ultimately an elaborate fiction. Many years ago, I went to a commercial audition. I can't even remember what it was for. Oof, I was in my 20s. I always dreaded commercial auditions because usually I wasn't very good at them. I think a part of me felt icky and disingenuous. And listen, I am totally not judging artists who do commercials. They pay great and some people do them really well. It's a gift. It's a it's a particular talent. And At the time, I would have set aside any scruples I had in favor of the money, so I was fully capable of being a hypocrite. This was part of the inner conflict that probably made me feel so self-conscious and stupid during most commercial auditions. (laughs) Anyway, one day I go downtown to some loft in the Flatiron District, this was in New York City, to audition for a thing where they're looking for cool, hip young people to be the voice of some lifestyle brand, I think it was. Already I was like, ooh, I'm not cool or hip and I can't pretend to be. (laughs) So I was on my back foot to start with. When I got to the casting office, the place was full of what looked like genuinely hip and cool young people confidently strutting around in their cool hip outfits. For all I know, they were as insecure as I was, but I mean, I was sure that they all knew who they were, whereas I did not. I felt so awkward and uncomfortable there. At one point, the studio door opens to gales of laughter and this very cool, hip, skinny British guy with big funky glasses and flippy floppy hair and tight jeans comes out of the studio, escorting the most recent cool, hip talent out, a beautiful 20-something with piles of bouncy red curly hair and thigh-high boots, and he's going, yeah, great, thanks, Amber, you were gorgeous, I love it. (laughs) And scanning the room for the next person on the list, which was me. And I'm like, oh no, this is not going to go well. I entered the room 
with the energy of a dog who's been dragged to the vet, tail between my legs, energetically speaking, with a big fake smile plastered to my face. The other people at the table briefly looked up to see who was next, and then they went back to rifling through headshots. There was no script or anything, which I had discovered to my dismay upon arrival, because that always meant that they're going to ask you to do something to the camera, like make a face or do a gesture or dance. And that always made me want to run a mile. (laughs) And this time it was my worst nightmare. This cool, hip British guy starts dancing around the camera like Austin Powers in the scene where he's shooting supermodels. And he's like, okay, Claire, so just talk to the camera, darling. Just tell us what you're all about. What are you into? Tell us about you. Like, tell us who you are. And I'm like, total deer in the headlights. A million thoughts jammed themselves into my head at once and made a million thought pile up that was impossible to get through. What am I about? Like, what kind of music do I listen to? What's my favorite cuisine? Do I have pets? Do I have a boyfriend? What what do I do for fun? Who am I? What does that even mean? Are we having a philosophical discussion about the nature of existence? There was a dead silence as I frantically tried to encapsulate my being in the cool, hip way that I thought they wanted me to be. Then another impulse arose of total fury at the absurdity of the question and the futility of attempting to answer it. Pride and arrogance took the upper hand, and I judged them all for empty, superficial people. Then I out of desperation, babbled something insipid, I don't remember what, I must have blocked it from conscious awareness. Their faces fell, and I think the British guy realized that this wasn't my bag, baby, and mercifully didn't extend my misery. He escorted me out, and I don't remember much after that except for walking briskly down the street, and my face burning with feelings of shame and frustration. Why couldn't I just play the game? Why couldn't I be cool and hip? Or at least try? Or laugh it off? I was racking my brain for what I should have said in answer to that question after the fact, but I could come up with nothing. Once I had a little space, though, I remembered something, a quiet voice that had answered instantly in response to the question, tell us who you are, while I was staring at the camera in that surreal moment of suspension. It said, what I am cannot be defined. It had immediately been blown away and drowned out by the other jeering voices in my head like, oh, that's a great answer. They'll love that existential angle. (laughs) But now, with a few blocks between me and the embarrassment of another commercial audition flop, I seem to be able to replay in slow motion what had happened in my mind in a few awkward seconds. It had been the voice for truth which I shouted down in my fear and insecurity. It was the only real answer, had I had the presence of mind that I could have given. It was the authentic answer that would have enabled me to leave the room with my head held high. As I look back on that story, I see that I was tongue-tied in the presence of a paradox that in some sense 
stopped my mind for a split second. I went blank and then panicked. But on a deeper level, I apprehended the paradox that if you can say what you are, you don't know what you are. Anything that you can say you are is a lie. You can only say what you are not. Our true self is beyond all definition and all form. To attempt to define a self in that moment could only be a limitation and could never be the truth. What was the point? But the one I took myself for at the time, the personal self with which I was identified, was desperate to find her worth in that limitation and was willing to twist and distort herself into any shape that would meet with approval, acceptance, love, or security. Just as the need for forgiveness disappears like a mirage when we reach a higher level of awareness, so the need for a feeling of worth or deserving disappears when we let go of identification with the personal self. Just like a mirage, what seemed necessary or important in one paradigm disappears as you expand into a new one. Forgiveness is a good example because at one level of consciousness, it seems hard to forgive. It seems arduous. You have to work on it. But as your awareness grows and your heart expands and you let go of things, by virtue of your spiritual efforts, you realize that all is already forgiven. And that the perception that forgiveness was necessary was just that, a perception, an, an illusion, an error of sorts belonging to another self at a different level of consciousness. So it is with worth, worthiness, self-esteem, sense of deserving, and our quest to improve our self-image. As we let go of any concept we have of ourselves, that our true worth is inestimable becomes obvious. So much so that it disappears as a quality. You no longer search for it from the perspective of the personal self, who was the only one who doubted your worthiness in the first place. You know that you know. You are already infinitely worthy, as all of creation is infinitely worthy in its essence. So there's no longer a question of worth. It's like specialness. We want to be special, distinguish ourselves from others. But as we let go of identification with the level of appearances, forms, we realize that distinguishing characteristics are only at play on the level of form. Formless essence is always and already whole and complete, lacking nothing. The impeccability of our true nature just is. It can never be touched by anything the human part of us has done or left undone, by anything that's ever happened to us. Is the endless space of the sky stained, tarnished, or damaged by the objects within it? No. Stars and suns exploding with the force of millions of atomic bombs have no effect whatsoever on the impassive vastness of space. 
root your sense of worthiness in your infinite nature until you don't need to feel worthy anymore. I am already worthy is a reminder that we already are everything we're searching for, everything we hope to be worthy of. It is given. It is already. It is not out there separate from you or in the future. This week, whenever you find yourself in feelings of unworthiness or underdeserving, speak those words to yourself. I am already worthy. I don't have to do anything. I am. And relax. Trust that getting out of your own way is the best way. I'll see you again soon. Meanwhile, walk in grace. Thank you for joining me in the grace space, where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.